You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, welcome to you. You may be in an RV. You may be in the living room. You may be in a tent somewhere. You may be listening in a cubicle or out in the hot. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Many of us are right here where it's nice and cool. We get to look one another in the face, and I give you my greetings as well. It is great to be together. In fact, you just should know who we are. If you're just joining us, we're a people who follow Jesus. Pure and simple, that's what we're about. That's our mission. That's our focus. And we invite you to join us in following Jesus. We want to do that with others. And so if you're looking for a group of people who don't have it all together, but who are resolute and committed to clinging on to Jesus, then you are in the right place, and we're glad that you're here. I I would like to invite you to stand. Now, if you're in a tent or in a car, please don't. If you're not able to stand, that's okay. Just give the attention of your heart to the reading of word from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak, so that you may also know how I am doing and Tychicus will tell you everything. He's a dear brother, faithful minister in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace be with this whole community and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you and have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today's the last installment of our God Process series. It's coming to the end of this letter, as you can tell with how Paul uh, writes these words. And and last week, I kind of left us hanging. I mean, whenever we looked at the armor of God and we looked at what Paul was encouraging us to do, he says, be strong in the might of the Lord's power. Right? Take on the Lord's strength and, and stand firm. And that all sounds good, right? Who wouldn't in this day and age want to live with the Lord's power? I mean, I'll, I'll take power anywhere I can get it. And especially from the one who's given life to everything that we can see. I want that power. Do you? Well, today we look at how you access that power. That's the way that Paul answers that question of how you can be strong in the Lord and how you can stand firm. And the way that he answers it, I'll give it to you on the front end, pure and simple. It's prayer. Prayer is how you access the power of the Lord. It's how Paul began this letter. It's how Paul is ending this letter. It's What he does with most every letter, he starts and he ends and he infuses the whole thing 
in prayer. And so if you really want to access that strength, that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Now, a couple things on the front end when we talk about prayer. Most of us in the West, uh, most of us in the United States, uh, when we think about prayer, we think about maybe something that you do at the beginning or the end of something. We think about a holiday or, or, or maybe something formal. Maybe we think about a, a list that we keep of all these people and events and issues and things that we're praying for. Almost like a catalog of those people that we love and maybe some that we don't know that we need to pray for. And a lot of times it's us putting something in front of God, kind of an, an issue or a trouble spot or something that we need God's attention on. And yet, Paul's approach to prayer, as you're going to see, is different from that. Paul's approach is quite different. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't include people and events and things that we're praying for. No, no, no. These needs are there. But for prayer, for Paul, prayer's different. It's like breath. It is what takes him into the very next moment, the next line that he is to write, the next counsel that he's to speak to or group of people about the gospel. Prayer is how he is alive. Prayer is almost like the nourishment that he takes in as he takes in all that's given to him from God. Sometimes I think we think about prayer as just kind of this little nod that we give God at the beginning or the end of something. Maybe it's like we're at a restaurant. You know, you know what this is like? You're at a restaurant, and at some point, maybe during your meal, the uh, general manager or the owner will come by and say, is everything okay tonight? And you'll say, oh yes, yes, of course. Oh good, please, please come again. Or maybe you'll say, well... And then that, that owner will say, well, I'll be right back. I'll pay attention to that. Our offended taste buds or the sun that's in our eyes or something gets taken care of. Maybe the entree's recooked or it's taken off the bill, right? Sometimes that's the way we treat prayer with God. Almost as if God is a butler. We give Him the problem and we just kind of sit back and we wait for the answer so that we can either thank God or maybe throw another request His way. But prayer is different for Paul. Prayer is very different because it's something like this. Prayer is not what God can do for us. But prayer is what God wants to do through us. That's what we're going to unpack. That's what we're going to explore. Because sometimes we just think God is all about us and doing things for us. And that's what our prayers should be. But I'm going I'm to propose that no, prayer is about God doing things through us. Getting us ready for what He wants to do. And I want to show you that by looking at our passage that we just read and spending some time in it. Looking at three things in particular to lift them out and help us see what Paul is saying. God is inviting us into a process. A process that includes us where we are participants. It's a process where we have to have some skin in the game. Where we are not just sitting back, but we are 
open to the possibility that God might want to do something new through what we're asking him about. The first thing that I want you to note shows up in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer, every supplication. Pray in the Spirit. Whenever we pray, we're placing ourselves in God. We're positioning ourselves in the very presence of God. We are becoming willing participants in what God might do. And God's looking for those who are willing to give their lives, who are willing to have skin in the game and be invested in this process. It's not like having a scowl at that table in the restaurant and leaning back and wondering what God's going to do to fix the entree that's gone bad in our life. It's not the kind of prayer that you just simply bow your, eye, bow your head, close your eyes, get into this humble posture. It's something different than that. It's opening up your eyes. It's opening up your heart to the possibility that God could act in you and in the circumstances of your life to do something new. To be strong in the might and the power of the Lord is to electrify your life with the presence of God. It's to be in the Spirit. These words, all and every, these determiner words that we're supposed to always be in prayer in the Spirit, they point us to this being in the presence of God more often than we were before. That God begins to dictate our life to a greater extent than God did last week. All, every, these, these Explicit words drive us in to make every request that we have a part of our participation with Jesus. Now, I think when we look at how Paul prayed, we get hints of how Jesus prayed. And if you look closely at, at whenever Jesus prayed, the disciples kind of paid attention. There was something about Jesus where he had entered into this ceaseless level of prayer constantly praying and the disciples wondered about it there are two places where they ask him about praying in Luke 11 and in Mark 6 because in Luke 11 they were watching him pray and they ask him afterwards teach us how to do that teach us how to pray in Matthew 6 he's talking about all the things that you do as a disciple that are in secret including prayer I think the disciples saw something different in how Jesus prayed, where it was in his entire life, the form of his human existence was in constant prayer. He showed us what it was to be electrified with the Spirit of God, to be in the Spirit at all times and offering things to God. Okay, that's the first one that I want you to hear. Praying in the Spirit at all times, with every prayer and supplication. The second one comes in the second part of that same verse. Verse 18. We are to keep alert. We're keeping alert in prayer. That enables us to pray, to persevere in praying for other people. Now, this takes prayer out of that realm of just being on your knees with your head bowed 
and in your closet. If we just think about prayer in that light, then we'll think that once we get to the grammatical end of the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen, that we're done. You know, the task is off. We can set the menu down at the table, lean back, and wait for what's to happen. Well, Paul invites us to stay alert in prayer, to persevere in prayer, to let prayer never stop in our lives. Because if we just say the amen, then we'll think that our responsibility is over after we've concluded that prayer. We'll think that we have no role in it beyond that. And a lot of times, many people in this world are prone to give up, not to endure. In fact, as they sit at the table, they might wait and wait and wait at the table, realize that there's no answer, service isn't any good, and what do they do? Get up and leave. Maybe throw a few bucks on the table for the waters, for the chips, and then leave. Where prayer is about waiting on someone to give us something instead of being a participant with what God is doing in our life. I think sometimes we're, we give up on a lot of things. Not just our prayers, but we give up on other people. We're in a conversation, we're in a discussion with family members or people that we generally like, but we get to a point where we disagree with them, so we leave the conversation, we leave the friendship, we leave the relationship, the church, the company. Whatever it is, we walk away from it and we give up. We're not able to endure. And when we don't participate in what God is trying to show us in that circumstance, there's no preparation. There's no further growth for us. We remain passive. And we just count on God to be the only active one in the equation. When, as I'm trying to describe what prayer looks like, when things aren't going so well, you get up. You go into the kitchen and help out. A long time ago when Don and I were in college, uh, we were dating, we went out with some friends to little Italian restaurant, just kind of a local joint, inexpensive, but had the feeling of kind of being nice. And, and back in those days, I drank a lot of Dr. Pepper, and so I ordered Dr. Pepper, and they said, oh, well, we, we don't have any. It's like, oh, okay. And she said, well, we do. It's, it's in the box back there, but no one knows how to hook it up. Well, I was a seasoned fast food expert, not too many years removed from my high school, and I said, well, hey, I, I know how to do it. She's like, really? He's like, yeah, I would really like this. So I go into the back, I get the box, I hook it up to the carbon, the CO2, boom, we've got Dr. Pepper. If I'm just sitting at the table and I'm praying for a Dr. Pepper, and I'm unwilling to let God cause me the embarrassment or the growth or the change in my life, then I'm not really participating in prayer at all, am I? I'm waiting passively on something for God to do that He might be inviting me into, be a part of. Alright, so if prayer is about being alert and that it's constant and ceaseless, what does this look like? How, how does it happen in work or at school? Or We've got busy lives. Do you find yourself saying, I can't be involved in constant prayer? This is not something that I can add to my schedule. Well, what I'm talking about goes against some of those assumptions. 
where sometimes we assume that our daily life, the important things that we have to do, somehow conflicts with a life of prayer. That you can only do one thing at one time. I'm calling us into a prayer life of Jesus, a prayer life of Paul, where that prayer never stops. It continues ceaselessly. Embracing the activities of your day, the things that you face. So for example, you go to coffee or a lunch with a friend, someone that maybe you haven't connected with in a long time. What if prayer began to infuse that conversation that you have? Praying for that person. Celebrating the joys that they express to you. Maybe even praying to God that they have the words to express something that they can't quite get out. They feel like the words just won't surface to their tongue. Could you not be praying in the middle of that conversation without a lot of fanfare? Then whenever prayer requests come up, even that they may not verbalize, you don't have to stop and get down and bow your head and take a knee there in the restaurant and pray. You could be praying for that person in that moment. This kind of ceaseless prayer takes the focus off of us. Our opinions, our, our need to respond, our desire to get to the next thing on our schedule, to be somewhere else than where we are in that present moment. And it puts the focus on being present in that moment and present and attentive to God and what God's going to do with that person and with us. What God's going to do with that situation and allows us to go deeper into a relationship with God. Well, that's just a taste. If, if you want more on that, I can tell you far more about what that kind of prayer like looks like. But I wanted to at least give you that to get you thinking. Because we've still got one more thing to explore. And this one's a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. We are looking at praying in the Spirit always. We're looking at, second, keeping alert and enduring in prayer. And that brings us to what comes up in verse 19. The third thing that I want to drive home for you, because Paul turns the equation around and says, pray for me. What? Yes, pray for me that I may be able to declare the mystery of the gospel boldly. Paul invites them into this relationship of prayer. Now, he needs strength to declare the message. I mean, he's writing a letter to these people. He's in prison for this. He's going all over countries sharing this message. But yet, he invites them into the role of participation with him. Now, that's a great approach to prayer. It's kind of one that we could get excited about. To think about this message of what God is doing. Now, I've told you this message many times, the message of the gospel, especially from Ephesians. It's exciting. God's message to include everyone. And, and it's different from a lot of our prayers that are, well, fear-driven. Do you find yourself like this? We pray for all the things that are terrifying us right now. Oh, what our children are facing. Oh, what our world is facing. This most recent diagnosis. All of these things that are important to be praying for, but they're all foc focused on scary things that we hear from the neighborhood or see on the news or hear in the, from the paper about what's happening in politics or the global situation. We focus our prayer on fear 
rather than on declaring the mystery of the gospel. That's what Paul's focus was. Not all the things that could be afraid. In fact, Paul says that he's an ambassador in chains. Does he pray for those chains to come off? Well, I think in our normal Western American way of praying, that's what we'd be praying for. Yes, please pray for Paul. He's, he's in prison in chains. That's not what Paul prays for. He prays to be able to declare the mystery of the gospel. Well, I have to take one more pass at telling you what the mystery of the gospel is. I know you're wise and seasoned and you probably already know what the gospel is, but it's easy to miss it. And I think it's why Paul says so much about it. So we're going to look in two places, kind of almost three, but I'll just dance around the third one. Look in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles, the nations, have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. So the mystery of the gospel is that the nations, the Gentiles, are in. They're included. They're welcomed in by Christ. That's an exciting message of inclusion. To let people know that they're on the inside. They have accessible to them the very power of God. It was unknown and it remains unknown to many people. They don't realize that they are in. That's good news. Letting people who feel like they're not in know that with God, they can be in. Well, let's look one more place. This one's in, in chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And I'd encourage you, if you want to, to look at the verses around this. There's so much more here. We've already looked at it. But I want you to hear it again. Ephesians 1, 9. He has made known to us the mystery. Oh, there it is again. Mystery of His will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, a plan, a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purposes of him who accomplishes all things by the counsel of his will. We've obtained an inheritance to be in Christ these two passages. I, mean, I didn't even go into in Ephesians 3 about being a joint heir with, with others, with Christ. In, in Romans 8, 17, it says joint heir with Christ. Here it uses the same word, and it's joint heir with the nations, with the outsiders. Paul brings this message of great inclusion, of pulling people together of letting them know that they can be children of God, they can be adopted into the promises of God. And that is good news. I told you I'd hint at a third passage. If you wanted to look at, in chapter 2, verse 13, it talks about what Christ, who is our peace, does. He comes into the world and He breaks down walls. 
any kind of dividing wall, Christ is blowing up. Things that separate us from Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, Christ is taking those away, making them insignificant, pulling them down so that we can have one new humanity. Are you kidding me? Jews and Gentiles together? Religious people who know how to follow God and those who don't? Together? Yes. That is what Paul says that Jesus is about, and he says it in a powerful way. Now for me, sometimes that sunshiny message gets lost. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there at the table, and I, I kind of would like to think that I'm an insider as a Christian. I'm sitting at the good table, right? I mean, I, I kind of deserve to be here a little bit. Now, this weekend we went, went hiking with some friends that were passing through town. They were picking up their kids at camp, and we, we got to go for the first time to 10-3 up on the mountain, which was pretty cool. We waited and waited to get a table. We were the lunchtime crowd, so we didn't have to have reservations, but we still waited a long time. And we go and we sit, and I, I didn't know about the view, but because there were five of us, we were sitting at the back. You know, we were sitting along the wall. Well, why can't we have that, that view, that table over there? Well, Brady, get a reservation, come at dinner, pay the big bucks, and you can have it. I think sometimes we think of ourselves as insiders at the table where we're praying for our sniffles, we're praying for our big things like cancer diagnosis, but we're praying for those things just among our family. Is there anything wrong with that? Should that stop? No. But when we look at Paul's prayer, Paul is praying for those who are near to Christ and those who are far away. Because all have been brought near in Christ. That is amazing. That the proximity that we feel or think that we have towards God doesn't keep us from being close to God. God is pulling us closer day by day. And we, as a people of God, can be praying for this. Praying for the grace, the love, the faith, and the peace of God to pull people closer and closer to God. And that means prayer is about showing up. It's about action. It's about living and breathing. It's not this domesticated prayer that begins with, Dear God. I don't know where we got Dear God. We say that all the time in our family. Dear God. Is this a letter? And then ends with, Amen. So be it. And then we're done with prayer. It's not that domesticated God, an approach to prayer. It's wilder. It's more untamed. It's praying that those far away will be brought near, that they will see it. It's prayer all the time in the Spirit of God. In every prayer. In every supplication. It is prayer that says, you know, I'm going to remain alert and I'm going to persevere and praying for the saints and praying that all will come to see their self, themselves as saints. It's prayer that declares with our lips and with our actions the good news of this mystery that in Christ, God is gathering up all people, all things in heaven and on earth together. So if we really want 
the strength of the Lord. If we really want to live in the power of the Lord's might, then we have to place ourselves there. Place ourselves in the Spirit and pray, standing, constantly, alert, declaring what God is doing through people. Because He has done all things through Jesus Christ. These series that we've looked at, the God Project, of God's project, of what He's doing with this world, the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, gathering up all things in Christ, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, has been paired up with this God process of what God is doing in your life, in my life, not just personally, but communally, of how we're involved in that process where we're becoming like Jesus Christ. We're imitating God. We're being filled with the Holy Spirit because you can become like God by living with God. You will not ever replace God. There is only one God. But God wants you to become like Him. To live your life like He lived His life. Embodied in Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. A Spirit that He gives you to live in your life and with you. Let's pray. God, we lay ourselves at Your feet. And we ask that You draw us deeper into a life of prayer. That is a life of prayer that's in the Spirit. That's always in the Spirit. That's alert. Ready to endure. No task too difficult. No, no difficulty insurmountable because You're our strength. You're our power. And we ask God that You will help us to declare with boldness Your message in Christ of gathering up all things together because we want people to know You and to know what life with You looks like. Father, for all in this assembly, for all who are listening to the sound of my voice, I pray Your peace and Your presence as you draw them closer to you. And we ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.